Well, as some of you know now, we have a, a new pack member at our home. We, we have recently gotten a puppy at our house, and she has been naughty, very, very naughty. And I had asked her, or told her, or encouraged her, however we view that, to set a good precedent and be a good pup. And I caught someone else in my house reminding her, having overheard me, I'm guessing, in those remarks toward the pup, yes, Greta, be a good Protestant. (laughs) Precedent, set a good precedent. She was reminded, be a good Protestant. And following on that admonishment from the family that she is to be a good Reformed Protestant, she failed. (laughs) Chance number one, to be a good Reformed Protestant. She didn't find a huge value in the preached word. So, we're working with her though. She will be catechized like the rest of us, but... She's doing okay. But now that I still have a portion of my conclusion left, we will begin with the introduction, and that is simply this. As you recall, where we've been in Ecclesiastes last week was dealing with the marketplace value system, where, again, uh, no matter what it is that is the idolatry within the heart, as the heart produces them, they can be uh, a wide array of uh, draw upon the human heart and upon our mind to find self-validation through various forms of idolatries. And, and uh, the preacher zeroed in on the economic side of things. Again, earlier portions of, or the end of chapter 4 is dealing with that individual who there is never an end to his toil. He's incessantly working to outpace his neighbor, driven on to, you know, be the one he perceives himself to be or what he wishes others to perceive him as. And so he begins to work and grind and work and grind in the web of relationships that are critical and the way in which God formed us to dwell with others in relationships that are rich, that we pour into others and they pour into us. Um, Again, whether that be the family Uh, in its small form or a larger church community form. This individual cuts himself off from these relationships because they are trying to simply be self-validating through pursuing various forms of idolatry. Now, he comes with that same crowd, those who prize the marketplace as that place of, again, I work, I outperform, I'm valued there that is my love language, whatever those efforts are, this is how I am validated by outperforming, outpursuing other people in order to be somebody and in order to accumulate some measure of things. And the preacher says, don't. It's an unhappy business. With the same crowd that he acknowledges, you do work hard. I'll give you that. You're diligent. You are perhaps the individual that stays late. You get up early. You're the first person there, the last to leave, however you describe it. And you know the consequences that is necessary that comes with something like that. It's inevitable, the isolated feelings, the emotional kind of weakness from being alone, and yet you have things you're gaining, but you're ultimately losing. 
So he speaks to you this morning, that same reminder to each one of us this morning, the same group of people. It's those who pursue the marketplace with vigor, who are aggressive, no end to their toil. They're willing in life under the sun to work and work and work and gain and gain and gain. And yet when it comes to worship, they won't work at all. They have no measure of that same due diligence, that, that measure of exactness, not kind of, sort of getting it done, but really making sure I'm on point, I grasp it, I'm getting it, I'm faithful to it, I'm thinking it through, I'm connecting the dots, I'm growing thereby, I'm investing in the church, I'm investing in others, I'm growing as a result, since that is the way that God has intended me to function. These individuals, rather they come and Worship is, at best, a secondary matter. They're unprepared. They come, they sit, it comes, it goes, they go. It's the same group of individuals that we would kind of label or is being labeled kind of most popularly is American folk religion. This criticism of the evangelical church where religion is simply, again, for utility purposes. And I come when I perceive that I am in need. I don't come as God has intended me to come and as a needy person come to receive of Him. Rather, I come and I suggest that God is pleased since I made some time for Him. This is the challenge of the preacher to address the same group who says, yes, I'm always on time at work, I'm always staying late, I'm always outperforming. When it comes to church, who really kind of thinks about it at all? When it comes to worship, it's, you know, the end of the week. Not conceiving of it is Lord's Day at the beginning of my week. I give what's left, and I know that God looks and is very pleased with me. The preacher this morning will challenge our efforts in the marketplace and our slack when it comes to thoughts of worship and who our God is as we approach him in worship. In other words, he is going to challenge us this morning in our overly simplistic and self-centered attitudes in worship. As he does this, I want to kind of handle the text a little bit differently than I normally do. And that is this morning, I want to give you, I believe it's five. Yes, it's five marks that we can get out of this text together. I I trust you'll see them as we point to them in the text as he warns us of our simple, oversimplistic, self-centered attitudes in worship. He provides for us as we put forward positively through the warnings, five marks of true Christian worship. I want to provide them for you through the text as he tells us what to avoid or in a way he rebukes us for the way that we behave. So diligent in life under the sun, and so slack when it comes to our approach in worship. It just gets done. In fact, it's largely a passive process. We come, we sit, we hear someone speak, and then we kind of go, and maybe we have a cup of coffee. This approach to worship, he's heightening it. And so as he challenges us, I want to put forward five this morning, five marks from this text of true Christian worship. 
Number one, if you look there in the text, the first mark this morning of the five marks of true Christian worship. This is us this morning, I trust, and a reminder to us if it is not, and a call to repentance and perseverance. Number one is the mark of humility. There is a mark of humility to true Christian worship. This is where he begins. Let me show you how. In chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are that they are doing evil. So here in this first comment, he puts forward of guarding your steps when you go to the house of God. It is a call or a word of caution when you come in here this morning. There is a call to the believer that when approaching God in worship, our hearts ought to be humble in our approach. A humble spirit that is a word of caution. Guard your steps. Have you ever even thought for a moment of guarding your steps as you come to the house of God? That is, as you come for Christian worship in the new covenant, in Christ, do you still consider how approaching God is to approach Him in humility rather than an attitude of self-centered, presumptuous grace? That is, of course He loves me. I mean, think about it. I'm giving Him Sunday morning, aren't I? And after all, I have several talents, skills, friends, accumulated items. Rather, the call of the Christian to guard their steps as they come to the house of God, that is to a place of worship where the people of God are gathered on Lord's Day, is to say, nothing do I bring. Nothing do I bring. As the song says, simply to thy cross do I cling. A call for humility here rejects self-centered presumptuous grace. He owes it to me. Rather, a Christian approach is captured well in this poem that I cite for you from uh, a Puritan Valley of Vision poem. Quote, Lord, help me. You see the difference already beginning in the approach. Guard your steps as you come. Lord, help me me, not, Lord, you're welcome. You're welcome. No, the approach of humility of one who guards their approach to the house of the Lord or Lord's day worship is, Lord, help me, for I am often lukewarm and chill. Unbelief mars my confidence as I come. Sin makes me forget thy presence. Let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. This is the approach to Lord's Day worship. Not your welcome. Sin often makes me forget thee. Let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. Grant me to know. You see, I'm asking as I come to Lord's Day worship, grant that I may know that I truly live only when I live unto Thee. 
that all else is trifling. Thy presence alone can make me holy, devout, strong, and happy. All else is trifling. Abide in me, O gracious God. Christian worship is marked by humility. Furthermore, there is a comment one author says, Oh, that we would never forget that the heinousness of our sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. This is a call for the preacher. Guard your steps. You guard them every day at work. You guard them in the marketplace. You're exact when you have even some wiggle room because you're driven by envy to be ahead, to get ahead, to outthink, to outmaneuver. When it comes to worship, it is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. What we remember, we remember. What we forget, we forget. It's just Lord's day. He says, guard your steps. A cautionary move. Approach in humility. For true Christian worship is marked by a spirit of humility. Secondly, the second mark through the text as we guard our steps on Lord's day as we approach, that we give some prior thought, that we humble ourselves and ask the Lord to work rather than than tell Him He's welcome, that we've come, is a mark of restraint. The mark of humility and the mark of restraint. Notice in the text how he further describes the posture of coming for worship. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes and with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Here I call it a mark of restraint. Perhaps I could have better labeled it, or maybe you would remember it, thinking through this text as he speaks of being um, overly speaking, and he's calling you to active listening. That is, a mark of Christian worship is a mark of restraint, or a mark of active listening. You see, when you come this morning, he says there, uh, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't come in and just say a bunch of things. Don't come in and deny a bunch of things. Don't come in and overspeak. Let your heart be hasty to utter a word, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. That is, listen. Active listening to the word of God is critical to the process of living wisely. Don't come and talk and talk and talk. Presume, presume, presume. Listen attentively. I follow that with uh, Solomon from Proverbs 2. Listen as he puts it in this if-then clause, right? There's a relationship here. If this, then that. On active listening. Don't come in and just speak and speak and speak. Listen actively. So Solomon 
in Proverbs 2, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, if you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Listen to that text just as I cite for you the imperatives. Consider if you receive, treasure, make, incline, seek, search, then you will discern, then you will discover the knowledge of God. So the preacher says, Christian worship, Lord's Day worship, is marked with a spirit of restraint. One author notes it this way, hearing, are you thinking this is your hearing now? Hearing is the provision made for the soul's eternal well-being. It's Everlasting welfare depends upon hearing. If you fail here, your souls perish without remedy. For salvation comes by faith, and faith comes by hearing. Hearing is an act of of eternal consequence. According to our hearing, so shall the state of our souls be unto eternity. Martin Luther, in laying forward reformed worship during the Reformation period, as he spoke of the need for spiritual worship guided by the preaching of God's word, Martin Luther made this remark, the ears are the sole organ of the Christian. Faith comes by hearing. So the preacher says, you're all so attentive at work. You're attentive in the marketplace. You're listening to many items. You're listening to many bosses. You're listening to many customers. You're studying many markets. Yet when you come, you come and you run and you run at the mouth, not listening. No season of wait. Learn, distill, meditate upon. Presume, block out and sleep, and then the Lord's day is done. He calls each of us as we come. Don't be rash. Don't be quick to speak. Listen and be marked by restraints. Active listening to the word of God. True Christian worship this morning. If we were to consider again as he says, watch this and we put forward. Instead, do this. It is marked by active listening. The third mark of true Christian worship. That of this morning, our time together, each Lord's Day as we come, is the mark, thirdly, the mark of reverence. The mark of reverence. Notice how he draws our attention to reverence and worship. Verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, 
nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Again, restraint. Listen. And here is how he grounds the call for listening and not speaking. He grounds it that God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Do you see how he grounds? So, so be slow to speak. Be diligent to listen for God is in heaven after all. And you are on the earth. Therefore, what this means, let your words be few. Do you see? So what is he driving at in a mark of reverence as he calls us to remember our Father who is in heaven? The preacher, as with Christ, teaching us the Lord's Prayer, grounds the call for you this morning to come to Lord's Day, to listen to the text of Scripture, to listen to the Psalms being read, to sing and to worship, he grounds it in the truth of God's transcendence. How often do we remember in this day and age, in our time, how often do we meditate upon and consider God's transcendence? Yet it is the gravitational pull of our worship. God is transcendent. So we come and he's correcting our steps. You're welcome that we're here, Lord. We're putting in our time. And then it's marked by constant chatter. We always have a word for everything. We're always ready to give the absolute answer and weigh the matter to its conclusion. There's no season of listening and learning and gathering and meditating. And then we come simply with this oversimplistic view of who our God is, and we add it to our time of worship by not recognizing his transcendence. In other words, how often do we meditate upon the fact that he is the creator and we are the creature? So we come in humility Consider the larger biblical witness just for a moment as you think of where this grounding and reverence comes from in Lord's Day worship, God's transcendence. Consider Israel trembling fearfully at Sinai. Again, God's transcendence, that he is holy other. Consider moving from Israel, trembling fearfully at Sinai with the transcendence of God, and add to that Isaiah. You know this text very well. Quote, woe is me, he says, the prophet, for I am lost, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. This is the mark of God's transcendence from Israel to Isaiah. Consider John on Patmos in the book of Revelation. Do you remember we did uh, Revelation a few years back now? And we recall that John on Patmos, when seeing the risen Christ, you recall, he fell as though he were dead. This is the mark of true Christian worship. True Christian worship responds to God's transcendence. Not with a flippant attitude of coming and thanking him and telling him simply welcome that we came but with a mark of reverence, honor, and respect. A reverent spirit in worship this morning agrees with God. Did you come this morning with that same thought of God's transcendence in worship? 
that Isaiah 46, 9 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So the preacher says, don't be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Fourth mark, the fourth of five, the fourth mark of true Christian worship this morning. Again, each and every Lord's Day, we give due diligence to the marketplace, due diligence to work, and then we slack at worship. But he calls us, guard your steps, be mindful for worship. Fourthly, it is a mark of moderation. Look in verse 3, if you would, join with me, looking 3. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? In a word here, if we were to say Christian worship, true Christian worship is marked by a spirit of moderation. We could kind of put it down like this. It's similar kind of piggybacking on the one before it, and it's simply this. Don't bloviate. That is, you'll notice the word of caution is toward making vows toward God. Great care should be exercised making your vows unto the Lord. How many in here consider that they have made vows to the Lord? Have you ever thought, I did make an oath. I do make a vow before the Lord. I am in a covenantally binding relationship with the Lord, whereby I am to behave in a particular manner. I am to walk by a particular rule. And he says, don't be hasty in making them. Don't rush out and make some decision and then run out and not keep it. You're better off not to enter into the covenant at all. But is that the solution? Not at all. Run around and never make commitments. Never make covenant. But you have already made a covenant with the Lord, have you not? You have already made a vow with the Lord. Consider this vow that each one I trust in here has made, and if not, call upon to make. And that is the vow to trust Christ as he is offered to you in the gospel. To walk before him in newness of life. Have you considered your covenantal life before the Lord? Receiving Christ as he has offered to you in the gospel. I'll ask you this. If you have made indeed this covenant before the Lord, that is the mark of moderation in your covenant, to vow to receive and rest in Christ alone. Are you doing this? Let me ask. In your vow before the Lord. Are you fleeing sinful lusts? Are you pursuing righteousness actively by faith? Again, why do I say that? Look at the text. Again, uh, he says, when you vow a vow, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not pay than you should make a vow and not pay it. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger, it was a mistake. I didn't mean it. 
Rather, he says, fulfill what you have vowed. So I ask, in the gospel, are you fleeing sinful lusts? Are you pursuing righteousness actively by faith? Are you furthermore fighting the good fight of the faith? Are you taking hold of the eternal life to which you have been called? Two more, as Paul has charged Timothy, are you keeping the good confession which you made in the presence of many witnesses? Are you finally keeping the commandment unstained from the world and free from reproach? This morning, as I note for you these things, I also suggest that if you have not made a vow unto the Lord to receive Christ in the gospel, to rest solely upon him as he is offered to you in the gospel, I call repent. Be reconciled to God. For believers, continue to persevere by faith. For true Christian worship is marked by a spirit of moderation. Fifth and finally, I think of this with Pastor Dan out of town. I don't know if it was Adam Cronbush or, or not, but certainly as we, we note, Pastor Dan must be in charge of the air conditioning in this building because he's out of town and it, I, I'm hot. <laughs> so he must be in charge of the AC. He'll be so glad to know how much we need him. I'll tell them all for you. The fifth and final mark of Christian worship on Lord's Day. Again, not that we come and we tell the Lord, he's welcome. You're welcome I came and, and got hot and sweaty. You know, you're welcome that we took a few minutes from our schedule when we came and we paid our vows. You know, you're welcome that we came and had really bad coffee. Um, but rather that we come with finally a mark of sincerity. Tied with that sense of bloviating or that sense of never listening, always talking, we always know the sum total of the matter. We don't need to worry about it. We just make all kinds of commitments. We, uh, maybe it is more in a, um, a moralistic environment, less reformed. It is the going forward. It is the aisle movement. That is, I made a decision, and then later I find out I need to turn around and take it back. Tell the messenger, never mind, I didn't really mean it. Tell the person I prayed with at the front, I, never mind, I didn't really mean it. But just because we don't walk aisles and necessarily make physical comments about the decisions we made on Lord's Day, I trust by faith we're making them each and every time, and I trust that they are made with a spirit of sincerity. Notice this last comment of sincerity from the text that marks Lord's Day worship from God's people as we come. Verse 7, so in verse 6, this individual he, he made all kinds of vows between 4, 5, and 6. Again, he never gave any thought. Now, he wouldn't act that way in the marketplace. At work, he would be more diligent. Here, it just is what it is. I say what I say, and I, and I do what I do, and then when I go, I would really, instead of being held accountable, just tell the messenger I made a mistake. I spoke too soon. But for God's people, this is to be rejected. And furthermore, verse 7 his word and call to each one of us this morning is a word of sincerity. 
For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. You see, all, all this, not, uh, this thoughtlessness, this, this, this just showing up without even guarding our steps, without even considering where we're going on Lord's Day, without even considering the God who is transcendent on Lord's Day, without considering the gospel on Lord's Day that took a transcendent God, united us to Christ the Son, and by faith we're united in the power of the Spirit. Without any thought on those truths, we just flippantly and self-centeredly come, and this is vanity. So he says in verse 7, God is the one you must fear. The final comment for us this morning then is that the mark of true Christian worship is a mark of sincerity. Consider that Christ's return will bring God's wrath sweeping across the earth. How often we do not think on this And think of our call to fear the Lord, who is a consuming fire. Consider with me just here in closing that Christ's return will bring God's wrath sweeping across the earth. Each in that moment, each and every person will receive what is due unto them. Based upon what, you ask? Based solely upon whether or not they listened to and obeyed God's word. Starting with God's word to us in the gospel. Does your faith on this Lord's day, in this moment, does your faith Receive and rest solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. The being driven on by envy to outperform your neighbor be finding self-validation through the marketplace. Never mind all that. Does your faith rest in and wholly receive uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone? Isaiah 66, 4. I conclude with this comment from the text as he reminds us, beloved, This is who you must fear. And those hidden in Christ need not fear at all. Isaiah 66, 4. So I will choose their punishment and will bring on them what they dread. Because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they would not listen. Let us pray. Father, we just pray for your mercy to us in Lord's Day worship.